0: You know, sometimes the biggest pain point for automating a process isn't your biggest problem. Mm. We're going to be talking about some of the things you may or may not want to automate, and I'm going to rant a little bit. So join us. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Industrial Automation. It doesn't have to. In case you're new to our program, I'm Brandon Ellis, and I'm your host and also the owner of Elitech. Before we start today's episode, I just want to ask that you consider hitting the follow button and the subscribe button, depending upon the platform you're listening upon. Also, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and you enjoy what you hear, please go to the show page and scroll to the bottom and leave us a five-star rating and review. Now that we've got the marketing out of the way, I want to say thanks for tuning in. So let's get started with today's episode. So, welcome to Industrial Automation It Doesn't Have to. I'm Brandon Ellis, your host, and with me is Beth Elliott.
1: Oh, that's a great opening. Thank you, Brandon. (laughs) We've got some
0: new sound effects. Brandon Ellis. (laughs) All right, so hello Beth, how are you?
1: I'm doing good, how are you Brandon?
0: Doing well, doing well, so it's getting a little chilly
1: It is, Uh, I'm I'm not looking forward to the cold
0: (laughs) We got through Thanksgiving Yes And here we are on the other side And so true to our Thanksgiving podcast When I said after you finish eating all your turkey uh, We're going to get together and talk about some automation stuff again So that's what we're doing today so um, before first, we jump into that, yeah. let's let's head into some of the things that we've been hearing going on. Well,
1: I want to talk about that. The Hanwa, Hanwa's in the house.
0: <laughs> Hanwa.
1: Oh, Hanwa. Excuse me. I'm still. It's my southern accent. Southern accent. <laughs> Hanwa.
0: Uh, so yeah, what about it?
1: it, it the HCR three is. Yeah. Oh yeah. The, the demo. demos here. Yeah, that's right. So uh, Sean can take that out. That. It looks like a little baby robot. <laughs> a little baby.
0: It's it's actually we we are getting a lot of interest from schools and universities. A lot of the the STEM type uh, applications, and then then the uh, you know applications with uh, higher level universities, two two and four year. Establishments because of the size and the simplicity of it, they they really are interested in that. The cost being uh, being what it is, is really advantageous to the to the you know academia. Uh, As far as using that in a actual actual uh, application, as far as an industrial setting, it could be done. It's limited reach. It's three kilograms, so it's pretty limited payload. Uh, So we don't often use those in those capacities. But uh, for demonstration. And for education, it's it's really good. So, Sean, yeah, Sean's our our sales engineer for this area, uh, and he is uh, he is he's you know excited about getting out and doing that. So, certainly, if you would like to see a demo of that, reach out to us. Uh, contact Sean. You can reach him through our main line eight six five four zero nine one five five five, and have him set up a time to come bring that robot by and let you see how it works. Yeah, um, see it in
1: person. Yeah. See how it, it, even though it's small, it's it's sturdy.
0: It is. It is. It it, it moves pretty well. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, uh, you know, we have that. We have our five kilogram demonstration unit as well. Uh, a lot of times we use that to prove out concepts, uh, and but we can. It's mobile as well. Mobile. We can take that to customer uh, plants to to use and to see and. And things of the nature. And, you know, in 2022, we're going to be doing even more of that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. I believe, with uh – we're going to be doing some open houses. And, of course, our training centers kicking back up in 2022. So uh robots are going to be a big part of that. And the Hanwha the robots as well. <laughs> so, oh,
1: I also wanted to give an update on the FDA, the FISMA.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. FISMA. I <laughs> forgot <laughs> about <laughs> that. So, yeah, we <laughs> talked about that two podcasts ago, I guess, when I mentioned <laughs> –
1: it was last the last one when I oh it was I, I totally forgot to uh, brush up on the when the rule the FISMA would, <laughs> yeah it's, and it stands for let me find my notes here I was going
0: to say what's it stand for I can't uh, remember
1: I know uh, bear with me
0: hold on let's see FISMA
1: <laughs> the the food oh my word food safety modernization act okay that's what it is.
0: Phisma, yeah, there you go. So <laughs> but, we talked about that, um, and I made reference to that when we were talking, looking back in our last podcast, which was it doesn't have uh, it doesn't have to be thankless, thankless, yes, yeah. And so I was talking about uh, the great research that you that you did for that episode, uh, but now that's that's a thing now, right?
1: It had it's um, the comment period was open until January twenty first, and then the rule if if the rule is passed and finalized. Uh, when it is it's 2 years for companies to comply to the record cre- keeping requirements yeah, so it's it's still a little bit off but people
0: need to be prepared well i mean that 2 years of compliance yeah that's that's when you've got to be able to comply but it's it's going to be a process
1: yeah folks. and uh, this was interesting i found on june 1st the fda launched the fda new era of smart food safety low or no cost tech enabled traceability challenge and um, it asks stakeholders to develop traceability tools that are scalable and cost-effective. So they are working on things that are cost-effective, and I guess you submit your ideas to them, and they'll uh, set it up for a challenge, I guess. Huh, that's See interesting. If, yeah.
0: So when you're talking, when you say June and you said January, you're talking about 2021.
1: That's, that is correct, okay, yes. Yeah. So it's still in the process. Okay. So after two years, two years after it's finalized. Well,
0: okay. So the, the comment period you said was January... 21st. Of, it ended. Of 2021. That's correct. So the comment period's passed. Mm-hmm. Almost a year passed. Mm-hmm. And so then we have two more years after that.
1: It hasn't passed yet. and It hasn't been passed and finalized. From what I can oh, find... Oh, the
0: comment period has passed, but we still have, they still have to pass and finalize whatever... Whatever they got,
1: correct. Yes. Okay,
0: and they haven't done that yet,
1: as far as I can tell, and I have looked.
0: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. So that's FSMA. So that has to do with the FDA uh, food traceability uh, requirements that that are they're in, in the in the makings. And again, we made reference to that in the last podcast, uh, but uh, that was one that we looked at uh, in season two, the first episode of season two, which is industrial automation. You don't. It doesn't have to be untraceable. Mm-hmm. And that's where we're talking about the FDA.
1: Yes, and uh, how the IOTA, the oh, yeah. I- yeah. MES appliance can help. Well, that's what I was going to say
0: as far as their tech <laughs> challenge and stuff like that. They don't need to have a challenge. We've already done that. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> we can trace all that stuff, and make that very easy to do with our IOTA. So. And it's cost effective. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, not a lot of engineering to go into that. You just have to be able to point and click. I know. I can do um, it. <laughs> well, that's... <laughs> Oh, sorry. There you go. Little little rain type ta- clapping. Clap. <laughs> All right. So um, so yeah, um, that's 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 some good some good highlights. So thank you for that. So go ahead and get us started with today's title. All
1: right. So today's title is industrial automation. It doesn't have to be your biggest problem.
0: Oh, yeah. it's For those with video, y'all been seeing it the whole time. Uh, I know. It's behind us. It's, it's, it's on our backdrop.
1: <laughs> I, like, I should do something different, and then I'll pop it yeah, up next time. <laughs> the Vanna. Um,
0: yeah, so uh, uh, I keep forgetting to look behind us at the backdrop. I'm still not quite used to the video. Uh, so, uh, by the way, thanks to all those who have uh, subscribed to our YouTube channel yeah. and, and engaged with the videos we've been doing on LinkedIn and Facebook uh, and YouTube. We want to just let you know that we appreciate that, and keep uh, keep subscribing, keep sharing. Uh, we we would would ask you to please share if you if you like what you're hearing, yeah. and uh, and then follow us as well, and and so you can be updated for the latest and greatest stuff. So back to the title. So it doesn't have to be your biggest problem, and so that's what I alluded to in the intro. And so what are we talking about there? Well, basically we're talking about sometimes we we are getting. A lot of folks are coming to us and asking, uh, saying, I want to automate this process for various reasons. And so we have to enter into a conversation where we're trying to discuss, is this the best, this is a good opportunity, but is it the best opportunity? Does it make the most sense for automation?
1: Yes, and we're going to talk about what automation is in general. Yeah, so that's one first. Thing.
0: Yeah. So, how can you, autom- what types of automation are there?
1: Yes. So, I want to get uh, brand, brand spective.
0: <laughs> brand spectives. Okay. So, do
1: you agree or disagree if uh, on these four types of automation? So, when I looked up the types of automation, it all comes up to either three or four. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first one is fixed automation or what they also call hard automation. Uh, what do you, what are your thoughts on that? Do you, is that
0: do I agree or disagree with well, it? Well,
1: yeah, because we got fixed automation, programmable automation, okay. flexible automation, which is also soft automation, mm-hmm. and then integrated a- automation. Okay, they some of these look like seem like they blend together to me.
0: Well, and some of them are old terms with new new words.
1: Okay, okay, that's see that's what I wanted to <laughs> yeah. find out. Yeah,
0: so. For me, hard automation is is a, a machine or a process that's built to build one part. Okay. It's it's not really flexible. It's not a quick change. It's not got quick change tooling or changeover or something like that. It's built to do one thing. Usually, the,
1: is it large batches and stuff? Well, well? that's why they do that. Okay.
0: okay. Is, uh, it needs to manufacture one part. Usually you want it to do it. Certainly you want to do it. Consistently well, uh, not just not just consistent, but consistently good at high throughput. So large batches uh, with with large yield, and and that's just what it does. So you know, I'll I'll, I'll use the same analogy that I've used for our iota in the past. Uh, you know, if you've built it to do one thing, manufacture one part, that's all it's ever going to do. Uh, Without doing some pretty costly retooling and things of that nature. The other thing about hard automation is it may not be electrically controlled at all. Oh, It could be uh, some of the older type industry. What's that? Industry 2 or 2.0, I guess. With steam? Not just with steam, but uh, just a a mechanical automation. Okay. Um, And so cams, cam driven and, you know, using things of that nature where... Uh, You know, whole lines used to be just have a common shaft and it was being turned. It may be be connected to the water a water wheel or a steam engine or something, but this whole shaft is just turning. And then different processes down the line would have belts that would come off that shaft. Based upon the pulley side would decide how fast the opposite end of that shaft was turning for that process. And so they could tune that process to get the timing right. So that this continuous process could be just shaft driven all the way down. And then those things could turn cams. Cams are like a lobe on a, on a shaft. So as it spins, you things go out and then they go back in and they can, it's just like a cam in an engine that adjusts as, as the engine turns, the, the crank turns, it turns, a, there's a cam that turns and that cam is deciding, is controlling the valves opening and closing and the crank is turning the pistons. And so the pistons have to be in a certain position before certain valves have to be in a position relative to that that piston and things of that nature to do your, your cycle of a combustion engine. That's all mechanical. Now, today we have more electrical control in an engine. But if you go to old school engines, we're talking about, you know, engines probably 1960 and before Certainly, you get back in the 1900s, the old Model Ts and things of that nature. Uh, you know, they once once that engine started, it's a complete mechanical process. Now it's electrical as far as spark plugs, but that's even being driven based upon mechanical things that are that are turning and spinning and and, and creating that spark. Okay. And so um, uh, that that to me is hard automation as far as older type means of automation, but even with electric. You can be doing high speed motion, you can be doing all kinds of things, but if that machine is built to run really one specific part and do that very well very quickly then then that's what I would refer to as hard automation by today's terms
1: okay, and then programmable automation is obviously
0: using programs well,
1: and even program
0: automation um you know you can so the hard automation to me the way I see that is more mechanical okay. Uh, mechanically driven, mechanically timed, just mechanical. When you get into programmable automation, now we have something that we can change a program on. Oh. On a mechanical, you can change the program. You just have to machine a new cam. Okay. And so if if you want something to go faster or whatever or move further, you just machine a new cam, go in there and mechanically take out the old cam, put a new cam in, and now it'll follow that motion. So that really is programming, oh. right? Uh-huh. Because we're... Changing the way the machine runs, the timings and things of that nature. So uh, programmable automation, the way I compartmentalize that is it's, it's something we can program certain things, but we can't add anything to the system or, rest- or necessarily subtract anything from the system. So mechanical items. Well, mechanical meaning things you can hold in your hand. That includes sensors and things of that nature. So, if the machine is the way it is, I can go in and change certain things. Like, I could change a timing sequence. I might be able to even change a speed. But I can't add features like monitoring. You know, I'm going to change the speed based upon monitoring, you know, flow or monitoring temperature or something like that. I can't do that because I would have to add something to monitor the flow or monitor the temperature. Okay. And so when you're talking about specifically programmable automation, that's, you know, I don't know how useful that is, but maybe it is. Uh, Imagine being able to go in and, well, your toaster. We used toaster before. I was going to say the toaster is only going to ever toast toast. That's what it does. Toast. It's not going to wash your dishes. No. It's, it's you know, not going to check your email. <laughs> Who knows nowadays? <laughs> Internet of things. We're, we're making refrigerators email you and all this kind of – maybe toasters will too. I don't know. Text you when your toast is done. <laughs> yeah. But you've got a dial on or some kind of way of saying I like my toast more toasty or less toasty. And so that is changing either – maybe it's a time – I don't know how it works. Maybe it's a time – probably it's a thermostat – setting that says at a certain thermostat setting, we're going to pop this thing through. Well, how you know, however the magic is that comes to pop your toast up, but, uh, you know, just make it stop baking. But that's where you have to have that capability. So that is programmable. You can go in and program your toast to be different from when I do mine. I can can change it, right? Mm -hmm. So that would be an analogy of programmable, meaning... You, you can't do anything else. You can't, you can't change the force by which the toast comes out. You can't change the size of the toast that's going in to where you can do a whole loaf of bread instead of just a slice. You can't change those things, the mechanical aspects of it, but you can change how long it stays in. And so you have the ability to program that. And so programmable automation means that's all you can do is program what you have access to. Got it. The next one you mentioned was... Uh,
1: Soft automation. Soft automation or, uh, or flexible. flexible automation.
0: And yeah. now, all of a sudden, that's when we can start pulling in... Again, these are my interpretations of those. This okay. is when we can start pulling in both the controls and the program, programmability with the ability to change things. Okay. So, we may do quick setups. So, maybe we have... Uh, linear actuators that change the size, you know, the size and shape of the parts. Maybe you have mechanical stuff, but it's quick change. So you can do quick change tooling, quick change fixtures, things of that nature. And then you can adjust programs so that when you're running this fixture or this set of parts, or you're adjusted to to accept this part, the program runs totally differently. Then when you've got this other part in there, you know, instead of all 10 steps, it's only going to run three strat- steps or, you know, and they're going to change their cycle times and things of that nature. We could do those kind of things. You can also begin monitoring stuff like I don't know if you need to monitor a tank level for this part. You may need the tank to fill up to or flow so many gallons of water or whatever. But for the other part, we need half that or more than that. So you can monitor the flow. You can or you can monitor the levels, and the programming can come into play. But if this part needs ten gallons of, of water in the tank, and you only have A five gallon tank. It's not gonna work. (laughs) It's not gonna work. So you may have to change out the tank. But if you change out the tank and you know that's a quick and easy thing to do, then now it's flexible. Okay. So quick change tooling and that kind of stuff come into play.
1: Okay. What about the integrated?
0: Integrated means we're just gonna take a lot of little stuff and make it all work and do one kind of centralized control system over top of that. Now traditionally we've used SCADA systems, I guess, for that. Um, or you could do a centralized PLC system. We do centralized control. There's always there's an age-old question of centralized uh, control from a PLC standpoint, one PLC controlling many, many processes, or having a lot of small PLCs controlling their specific, specific process. processes okay. and having them report back to a supervisory controller. Control.
1: Okay, okay. And I bet there are some... Uh- Give and take with both of those?
0: Well, there is. You've got a communication. And then also, what if you start getting, if everything's a PLC, or even better, let's say everything is the exact same brand of PLC. Is that reasonable? No. It seems like it'd be expensive. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> plants, you know, most plants, most manufacturing plants in various sizes are trying to have standards and things of that nature. But sometimes, especially for the, the small to medium sized manufacturers, If you've got a piece of equipment and it has an older controller on it, or some other brand of controller, but the machine works fine, there's no reason to budget in retrofitting all that and getting, you know, ripping it all out and trying to put new stuff in just to match your standard. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or maybe they don't have the the standards as you know as close as possible. They're just really about trying to make production. And so when you start having all these dissimilar systems and and legacy systems Mm -hmm. and trying to pull that together. Now, if you're using the IOTA, that's no problem. No problem. I mean, it's according to what you're doing. Is uh, you know, we control traceability, or, or we control process workflow. Uh, but if you're, um, we're not going to control a machine. We're not going to do logic. We don't do ladder logic per se. But if you need that for your setups to get something from the ERP system, or even a cloud-based system, if you're if you're going there or whatever, I mean, we can deliver that stuff very easily. All you have to do, point and click. Mm-hmm. Uh but uh and so we take the place uh of, of some SCADA systems. So what's SCADA stand for? Acronym SCADA.
1: Supervisory
0: SCADA. supervisory <laughs> Yeah, you messed me up. Let's okay, do it. Okay, You're not okay. playing right.
1: Okay, okay. I didn't know you were doing the sound. SCADA. Oh, supervisory control and data acquisition.
0: That's right. Woo-hoo. So
1: <laughs> there you go. So
0: supervisory control, that's a centralized control system, and data acquisition. So that's what the IOTA is going to do. It's not really going to give control as far as being able to push buttons on on the front of the thing and change, uh, you know, actually be like an, a human-machine interface. Uh, that's Those machine interfaces are down there is the way we would say, or they're somewhere else. We're not a replacement for a SCADA system, I guess is what I'm getting at with the IOTA. Because... Under it, well, or or sometimes it goes under, over. sometimes it goes over. Okay, but uh, but it's it's we're our job is to move data to and from the 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 enterprise systems and the the uh, operational systems, uh, OT operational manufacturing floor, and so certainly we could do that. But uh, but the point being. That for integrated automation, being able to, as an example, let's say you've got, you know, if everything's a PLC, that's great. But what if it's not? What if it's a CNC controller? What if it's an, some brand of robot, you know, a Hanwha or something like that? What if it's uh, on the certain parts of the process? Uh, you know, it's it may be a PLC, it might be a PC-based system. You know, all these different things that are taking place down the process, down the manufacturing line, or the process may be on one side of the plant, and now we got to bring parts that are manufactured over there, sub-assemblies, and bring them over to the main finish, you know, final assembly area and start putting them all together. So we need to make sure that all the stuff that took place here is known here. Because if there was a bad part made here, we don't want to run that bad part in final assembly. No. We don't want to spend the energy, the money, the material, the labor. And so that type of stuff is an integrated That's integrated automation to me. Okay. Uh, And that's even a larger scale. That's probably more industrial automation integration. Uh, But uh, the most basic, probably what the internet would say, the most basic version of integrated automation is just making robots and CNCs and PLC-based systems all work together.
1: Okay. What are Brandon's two categories of automation?
0: (laughs) Well, there's really two. If you boil it down, we talk about... Well, there's probably three. I mean, um, machining, you know, so what we call numerical control or CNC type stuff. So machining is kind of its own island. And more and more, we're we're working with machines, especially if we're doing machine tending with robots and stuff like that. We're communicating with them. But they kind of have their own world. They use, if, if you're traditional, if you're a new student coming out of college, then They've told you you know how to program CNCs, and if you're a veteran CNC programmer, you shaking your head back and forth That's saying they don't know anything about because pro- there's a thing called G-code, and I promise you, G-code. most G-code, and it's a it's a programming language, G-codes, M-codes, things of that nature, and it's how we program CNC machines or numerical control machines, okay. computerized numerical control. It's a it's an acronym, CNC. So computerized numerical control, and so it's kind of its own thing. So I'm not really. Including that, okay, but even then, there's really two basic categories of automation. There's process and, and then there's discrete. okay? And so a process a process automation is automating a process, and really you get I always say that's what the chemical engineers are, are doing, right? So if you're in a chemical processing plant or, or even if you're in food and you're mixing foods and things of that nature, you're controlling more of a process there. Uh, Yeah, there's discrete parts of it where we're opening and closing things and turning on motors and turning off motors, but we're doing it in a way that we have to – everything kind of cues off of everything else. When you're baking a cake or when you're putting together the recipe for a cake, if you put too much flour in, Uh, if you put too much – I don't know what goes in a cake – and might all come out of the box. <laughs> so. <laughs> some some do. <laughs>
1: well, you still have to put eggs and eggs, oil okay. in there. So if
0: you put too much oil in or, or not enough oil or, or you miss the eggs or whatever, or the eggs aren't right or something. So in a process, now imagine a large company, a chemical company or something like that. If they're doing processing, they're going to be monitoring flow. They're going to be monitoring probably temperature, um, you know, that kind of stuff. And we use things called... PID loops. Okay. Um, So proportional, integral, and derivative gains. That's what we're using. That's how we decide a process. That's how we engineer a process. And so, just a quick example on that. Why would you use a? What's the difference between a PID? Let's say temperature control versus discrete. Okay. So discrete's off or on, zero or one. Okay. There's no in between. Okay. And so my stove, my my cooking stove at home. Uh, that when it's electric, and when I turn the eye on, uh, I see the eye come on and it glows red. Uh-huh. And then after a few minutes, it clicks off and it fades away. And then just a few seconds later, it clicks back on and comes back. And then when I turn the turn the temperature down, if it's glowing red, it clicks off, and it takes even more seconds before it clicks back on because it's waiting until the temperature comes back down, but it's still a discrete temperature control, that eye is just turning on and turning off. How long it stays on and off can be adjusted, but you can't say turn halfway on or only use 30% power or 60% power. It's 100% or it's off. So it's discrete. If it was being controlled by PID, it would be not not that way. It would be, okay, we're going to turn you 100% as long as the temperature is far away. As your temperature starts approaching your set point, your goal, we're not going to wait until you get there and cut it off cuz then
1: it'd be too much yeah
0: cuz then you're going to overshoot okay so we're going to control that and we're going to start easing back the power and easing back the power so we're trying to get that control temperature you know the target and the control trying to get them to come together and just roll off and boom there you are okay we're trying to do that in the shortest amount of time but we don't want to overshoot and then come back down and then cuz that's wasteful that. yeah well it just takes longer and and if you overshoot Baking a cake, I don't know what'll happen to the cake, but it may not be as good. Yeah, and it certainly so. might not be as consistent. And so um, so that's the kind of stuff that, that process automation is. And then there's deceit I'm sorry, discrete automation. And that's what most machines are. That's that's where we're doing discrete functions. We've got a PLC in, involved. We may still be doing some temperature control and stuff like that, but that's not the crux of the entire process. Okay. Uh, we're we're usually making something or doing something to a part or something we've got air cylinders that are firing we've got electric cylinders that are moving we may have some motion going on there are various things may even have robots but it's very discreet you can write that down a process you're going to turn this on at this you're going to run this process when this process is done you know we're going to do this we're going to fire this this valve when we see this sensor showing the grippers open then we're going to take the next step we're going to turn it off at this point we're not squeezing to a certain pressure we're not doing anything in between it's off or on okay that's discrete manufacturing and that's what most general manufacturers are doing
1: would those types of automation the fixed the programmable uh, flexible and, and would those fall under the discrete or is it just most I trying to, to categorize is, it too much no no <laughs> I, I
0: think I think most of those are going to be discrete okay uh, especially the the fixed. Uh well the old Tommy fix. Yeah. Uh because if it's all mechanical, you know you're pretty much getting what you yeah. get. But um but the um you know, as you, as you get into more flexible automation, again, we can be doing that kind of stuff. It really, I don't know, it comes down to most of the time what we're, when I see process automation, I'm seeing all of these PID controls or temperature controllers and flow controllers. Uh, they may be, you know, basing it on pressures, levels, whatever, and they're controlling various things. Uh, but they're, they're controlling them somewhat. They're, they're analog not digital. Okay. Digital is 0 or 1. Discrete digital same thing. Analog. I've always said the brain <laughs> the brain of the male, the human male is discrete. Oh, on or off. <laughs> the brain of the human female is analog <laughs> because with with us, with men, most well, I'm I'm going to say with me, it's either on or it's off. It either is true or it's false. It's black or white. And with with my wife, who I love to death, it's it's not. It, it's kind of kind of on or kind of off, or it's you know, it's kind of yellow. It's kind of not, you know. And for me, it's you know, I've 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 got the five, I've got Roy G. Biv. I've got the five primary colors, and I don't have cauliflower and <laughs> all these other Crayola colors in my book. It just makes the world it's more just, colorful. Boom, that's where it is. <laughs> and so for me, anything that looks blue is blue. And uh, anything that looks green is green, and that's it. There's only green and blue and ROYGBIV, red, orange, yellow, uh, green, blue, indigo, violet. How about that? ROYGBIV. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, that's a very discrete way of thinking. The analog way, and just just like with processes, discrete, bam, turn it on, turn it off. We're just firing valves. We're, we're, we're moving to positions, that kind of thing. Process automation is more about moving it into where it needs to be to be perfect. And so because it's a, you're, you're engineering a process, you're doing batches, you're doing things of that nature. So if we're making, if we're making uh, a tablet you know, that, that's going to be medicine that you're going to put in your mouth or give to your children or something like that, you, we want to make doggone sure that when that's put together and the, as the chemicals that we're putting there are, are weighed out and as they're administered and everything before it ever gets made into a capsule or a caplet or a pill – we want to make doggone sure that those are dead on. Mm-hmm. That is process. That's where we're augering out or we're feeding out material. But at the same time, if you're talking about powder drink mix for your water, uh-huh. if they add a couple extra grams of crystals get in that packet versus if they don't, it's not life threatening. It's not life threatening. It's gonna. So that's what I would classify that as more. It could be more discreet. But if it's a if it's medication. Oh, we need to monitor the the batching of that. If it's especially, um, you know, if 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 we're making chemicals that we're using for, I don't know, cleaners or whatever, chemical processing where we're mixing chemicals, we have to monitor those flows. We have to if we if we're having a chemical reaction that takes place, uh, we that that comes with temperature, that comes with pressure, it comes with all these different things that have to happen. You know, you're cooking something, or boiling something, or something like that. You have to make sure your temperatures are are maintained, and they need to maintain be maintained perfectly and consistently, and those kind of things. Even with food, uh, we had a customer that that they what they do is they uh, process food that's going to become TV dinner. You're going to get out of your freezer, and you're going to. Heat up, mm-hmm. which is quite common for me, um, and so that's my cooking.
1: <laughs> oh, you add to it though. <laughs> I always do.
0: Um, uh, yeah, take the take the nutritional information and throw it out the window when I'm done with it. Um, but uh, but that has that food's it can't it can't be bad. It, it's gotta it's gotta last, and we don't want to just pack preservatives in. And so they've come up with some clever ways of of going through and doing all the things that I don't know about. You know to pasteurization and all this kind of stuff to where they they can get the the food in such a way that it can can be flash frozen mm-hmm. frozen and then when you heat it up it's just as good as the day it was cooked and it's not packed full of preservatives mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff and so to do that their their process has to be they do that under pressure they do it under temperatures they they control temperatures pressures flows all kinds of stuff to make sure that as this food packet is going through this process that everything's where it needs to be. That is process automation. Okay.
1: All right. So what are the hardest manufacturing processes to automate?
0: Well, I think that comes down to why you're automating. Okay. Brandology. Okay. We talk about, we've been talking about this for a couple of years. Oh, I guess since the beginning of the, the podcast. Brandology. Four reasons to automate. Mm-hmm. Quality consistency, decreased cycle time, reclassification of labor, and flexibility quick, quick setup. There's also one in there that we haven't added. We may need to add a fifth one. I was oh, yeah? having a conversation the other day with a customer, and the reason uh, the, the reason they wanted to automate was they were concerned about the operator's safety. Okay. So they felt like if they could automate this process, it would be a safer process. And I'm not sure where that would fall under.
1: Reclassification of labor?
0: Yeah, I guess it would. It
1: could, I mean, because you're trying to take the labor we're from that. We're pulling them
0: away, from. but in that case, I mean, reclassification was going to happen anyway, but the the crux was because they were concerned about the safety of the mm. operator because the process had changed a little bit. It wasn't quite as safe a manual process as it used to be. Okay. Uh, but anyway, so so those, those four things, um, I would say it really comes down to Why are you automating? It's got to be, it doesn't have to be one of those four, but I mean, it can be more than those, than one of them, multiples, but one needs to be your primary goal. Mm -hmm. And so, which is the hardest? I I think we need to add a new list. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Brandology, different list. So (laughs) let's, let's call it the... The top four ways to determine if a process is worth, you know, trying to automate. Okay. And really, I want to come down to this. Let me me back that out a bit and make some explanation there. The majority, so what's trending? The the majority of what's (laughs) trending right now in our world is automation, but more specifically, just put a robot on it. And when they're talking robot, they're talking an articulated arm, six-axis, five, six-axis, articulated arm robot. Just put a robot on it. And it may be industrial, may be collaborative, but just put a robot on it. And it makes a lot of sense. If you've got a six-axis robot, you've got some some things that you can do. But... You have to be realistic, don't you? You kind of do. Uh, and, and so some of the stuff, and we talked about this, we've talked about this before, in when I talked about the wiggle jiggle, yeah, there are some things that a human can do, and it's it's though. And I'm not talking about things that a human can do, like you know, being a slalom skier or something like that. I'm talking about the the mundane. The no, not mundane. The the little unknown. Not, not even, you Nuance. things you don't even, Yeah, the nuances. Thank you. That, that they don't even think about. That you just do. Mm-hmm. And you don't really. You don't realize you're doing it. You don't realize you're doing it. And the wiggle jiggle is one of those. And what the wiggle jiggle is, is uh, in this case, I was watching, customer wanted to automate a process. It was a machine tending process where we were, uh, it was a CNC lathe. And so the lathe would do its thing and trim down the part. And it was a finished part and it was ready to be taken out. And even though the chuck would open, the part was stuck in there just a little bit, a little bit of stiction. And the operator reached in kind of twisted his, his wrist like, you know, if you're riding a motorcycle. Yeah. Kind of did a little quick little twist and pull at the same time. Twist and pull. Wiggle, jiggle. He kind of moved it and got it out of there. And it broke free and he pulled it on out. He said, we want to automate that process. I said, how often does he have to do that little move there, the little wiggle jiggle move? Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. Well, the robot's either got to do it all the time or none of the time. Mm-hmm. If the robot does it all the time... And trying to program in wiggle jiggle. Oh
1: goodness gracious! I couldn't imagine.
0: Yeah, I mean, because there's a feel to it, right? <laughs> so you, you know, the human brain's got your feeling. You got it. You got it. You can feel what's happening. You can feel when it breaks free and things of that nature. You can see it. You can see it. <laughs> you know, you got all these senses, and so those kind of things. So, so I've come up with a new list. Uh, the top four things are the four, yeah, top four ways to determine if you have an application that's worth automating. If you're talking about just putting an articulated arm robot on it, okay so if you're if you're unsure and and I think that's what we've got so so the hardest the question was what are some of the hardest manufacturing processes to automate um it's It's hard to classify that I mean certainly you know there are some that are just
1: well on really the internet hard. it was like uh what was it uh, material handling and final assembly from what
0: yeah, but sometimes material handling is a no brainer
1: and so okay. this, this
0: so so how can you determine that? Okay, so here we go. <laughs> the top four ways, if you're struggling with that, put mittens on it. If you have an operator that's doing their stuff, do you know what mittens are? Yes. They're not gloves.
1: They they I should have put I should have brought one. <laughs> they
0: they put you know
1: your four fingers are in one piece
0: and yeah. your thumb's in the other. So you only have two appendages. Yes. Okay. So if you can put a mitten on your operator and they do it, they can do it. They can still do the process with no problem. That's a good sign.
1: Okay. So as long as they can go like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That Crab calls. Okay. Number two, tie one arm behind their back. Okay. We're talking about one robot, not two. Now, granted... We and we have Motoman robots, and, and they the have they're DA, they're dual axis <laughs> that has two arms, dual arm, uh, um, and it uh, it's not dual axis, dual arm, and it's really cool. It is. It costs more. I bet. You know why? Because it's two <laughs> robots, and so, so, so yeah. You tie one hand behind your back, so you can't use two hands, even if you have mittens. So if you have a mittened hand, just one mittened hand. That's right. One mitten arm.
1: Oh, that's right. Okay, yeah. one mitten arm because yeah. you yeah. still have your arm.
0: The mittens on your hand, you still have your arm. So because it's a six-axis articulating arm robot works similar to uh, a human, a human hand, and that's what most people are thinking is they're watching this person do this stuff and they're thinking this is no problem, okay? But sometimes it is. So put a mitten on them and tie the other hand behind their back because sometimes they'll inadvertently reach up, take this part. And hand it off to the other one, and in doing that, they change. They're doing a passover of parts. That's one thing. I mean, even between two robots, Usually transferring parts. Pro-
1: you have to program each one of those. All of it moves, has to be programmed. Yeah. Okay.
0: And then put a blindfold on them. Oh, dear. Okay. <laughs> now, I mean, if we're getting down to the basics here, if if they can put uh, put a mitten on, tie one arm behind their back, and put a blindfold on, and then one last thing, okay. Their feet are planted on the floor. They can't move.
1: That's right, because unless the robot's on something.
0: Well, that, you can do that. You can, oh, you're getting into other costs. But I'm now sorry. you're getting into more costs, mm-hmm. more complexity. So uh, so many times, uh, especially in the last few months uh, with the labor shortages and things of that nature, uh, we are blessed to have many, many opportunities to go out and talk to folks about how can we use a robot to automate this process. And, and the first thing, now here we're going to rant I mean, this is my rant. Brand rant. <laughs> the, the first thing they go to is ROI, and they base that upon. This is our biggest issue. This is our biggest problem, and we can solve this all. I mean, it's like we win the lottery, right? Uh huh. And and of course we wanna we wanna help you with that. I mean, of course we want you to win the lottery. But when you start looking at those processes, it becomes... You can automate, I've said this forever. You can automate anything if you have enough money, enough time, and enough patience. Patience. (laughs) Money because
1: it's going to cost. It's
0: going to cost. Sometimes it's going to cost a lot. Time because the more complex it is, the longer it takes. And patience because the more complex it is, the more you're going to want to pull your hair out. And so, and I don't. Is that what happened? I don't have that luxury. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So, um, so. If you want to look at something in the plant, especially now, where most people are looking for, because they're focused on ROI, mm-hmm. you know, I go back to an analogy of a report, and this is an IoT related analogy. But we had a customer; we were using it was an IOTA user, there are an IOTA user, and they wanted at first help us. We want to know all the downtime events, just a count of downtime events. And they would keep up with what kind of downtime classification it was, but what's the total number? So they created this, and we helped them create this report, that said for this uh, on this line and all these processes, you know, through your entire processes through your plant from soup to nuts, uh, these processes at, at each one of these these machines, they even got down that granularity, uh, down to where uh, this type of event and this type of event we keep a count. Uh-huh. And so they had this graph that showed their top four, top four, I think, highest downtime events. Okay. Just by the number of occurrences. I've gotcha. Okay. And there was one that, you know, number one and then number two was slightly behind it, and then number three was way down, you know, pretty pretty far down as far as number of occurrences. And number four almost didn't make the map. I mean, just didn't happen often at all. And so they were doing all of their capital expenditure, all their focus. They were talking, bringing in all these folks and machine builders. And that's why you know we were there to help consult and that kind of stuff. How can they reduce on this number one column the number of downtime events? Well, as we worked with them in a consultative way, the question came up, how much downtime does all this equate to? Yeah. And they said we really haven't looked at the downtime, accumulated downtime for these events. And so they started. We, you know, they had their the iota. So now that was an easy thing. Yeah. And so they did some pointing and clicking and created a new graph that showed total downtime for each one of those accumulated processes, uh, our our downtime events, and they laid them atop, atop of each other, and it told a totally different story. What it said was. The first category, and even the second category, but the first category completely, was all these occurrences. The total downtime was not even in the top four. Wow. So it was happening a lot, but it didn't take long to fix. Okay. You get down to number four. That barely showed on the map. Barely showing how many downtime events, but to fix it, you measured in hours. Oh. So suddenly, your amount of downtime that you actually realized from your least squeakiest of the wheel is where you should be spending your money. The same thing should apply to what are we going to automate? So before you jump into doing all the steps to say, this is what we want to focus on. We want, you know, to bring in an Elitech, show us, help us consult with us, help us to, to automate these things. Mm. I would suggest use these new four ways, four reasons, uh, to decide if, uh, you know, an articulated arm robot or some type of automation is going to be feasible. And if it passes that test, then use that to set up your two, three, or four, you know, potentials and start your ROI analysis and feasibility studies on those. Okay, That'll give you the shortest term, highest return. Now, it's not going to win you the lottery, maybe. But let me tell you something. What they realized was... If we, if we spend all this money on what we were originally going to spend money on and we realized a 10% improvement on downtime, their total downtime was like less than 15 minutes. Oh. So 10% would be 1.5 minutes of improved downtime. <sighs> the other one was measured in hours, which I think it was close to, it was getting close to two hours of downtime. Wow. So that's 120 minutes. So now, ten percent yields eleven minutes of improvement. It's a much high, it's a much better it's a much better payback
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, because that's eleven minutes added to parts going out the door, and it's the gift that keeps on giving. Yep. And so think the same thing. So let me review those again. Put mittens on it. <laughs> Tie one arm behind the operator's back put a blindfold on them and tell them their feet are tied to the floor they can't move Now how do we get past that? That's right so if you want to if you can't put a mitten on it we've got to get more expensive grippers okay maybe maybe even grippers that are more analog than discrete where we can do pressure based uh, gripping and things like oh, that so nature. they can
1: tell if how put, how much pressure when they're yeah, picking up something that's right okay that costs more. I bet
0: it does. Uh, the second thing, uh, tie one arm behind its back. Maybe we need two robots working together. Mm-hmm. That's more programming, more engineering, more, more cost, more time. Blindfold it. Well, if you need to see, we can do vision systems. We can even do 3D vision systems, but they it's cost. Cool. Yeah. And there's a complexity with it. Vision systems themselves, we can set them up in the lab environment to work perfectly. But as soon as you move them to your plant and the light changes, or you upgrade lighting in the place, or you add a skylight, or move you know open the window, pull the drapes back, whatever, Mm -hmm. vision systems, vision guided robots can can need constant supervision. Okay. They can need maintenance or management. And then stand in one place. A lot of people are pushing for the what we call the seventh axis, six axis articulated arm robot. We stick it on a thing that moves or an AGV. Okay. Now the AGV is still new. Those are neat. They're neat. <laughs> uh, they are pretty cool in the way that they work, but they're not a hundred percent accurate. Okay. So if you move a robot up into a position in front of a machine, realize that it's not going to stop in the same place. Oh, you know, every time. Every single time. So it's not going to be the same thing as having well, you know, having a, a robot that could be nailed to the ground and always reach into the same spot. If it moves up, we're going to have to do things to try to figure out where we are and adjust our user frames and things of that nature. We can do that, but there's more cost. Mm -hmm. So that's the thing that I would get to is uh, so many people um, will come to us and say, we just walked through the plant. We looked at this. We noticed we didn't think that was a very hard one to do. And so that's the one we want to uh, automate. Uh And we start kind of We'll have to overcome this, we'll have to overcome this and the, and, and you can just see them kind of sinking down in their oh. seat' because they're like oh that's that's yeah or they'll they'll come on out and tell us this is our budget. we feel like we can do this you know very very well and get a six month payback or something like that. I want you to have the six month payback, but if you overlook some of these little nuances it can it can bite you and it can knock your budget's way out, yeah yeah, so
1: what is that like the Rube Goldberg.
0: Well, you don't want a Rube Goldberg machine. <laughs> I've seen some of that. Uh, yeah, a Rube Goldberg machine, for those of you who don't know, Google it and get on YouTube and watch some of the videos. There's some fantastic Oh, things. there are. <laughs> yeah. You know, Rube Goldberg is all about timing and everything's got to be consistent. And, and, you know, you're relying on all these other things to happen just to to make a certain outcome. And But there's a lot of opportunities for failure. Yeah, because
1: it's a lot of chance in there. There's a lot
0: of chance. Everything's (laughs) going to be aligned perfectly and things of that nature. And I have seen those types of moves from equipment. We've never done it. We try not to. Uh, But, uh, you know, just seen some – if it works, we call it clever. If it doesn't work, we call it dumb, right? (laughs) So you're going to go one way or the other. But, uh, yeah, you don't want the Rube Goldberg machine. So what are some examples of processes that can be automated? Well – uh, we've actually been talking with some folks about polishing, deburring, and things of that nature. The interesting thing there, I would say, is think about: Do you want to bring the part to the process, or the process to the part? Okay. And not everybody thinks that about that. No. Sometimes it's easier to take the part or the process to the part than the part to the process. Okay. Uh, but when an operator is doing it, a lot of times they're taking the part to the process every single time. It's according to your situation, what you're dealing with. But sometimes it's easier to bring the process to the part. So instead of taking a part with a robot and and moving it up against a polishing wheel, it may be easier to attach the polishing wheel, you know, whatever you got, the grinder, the deburring unit, whatever, to the robot and let it come to the part and do stuff to the part while the part's fixed. Okay, okay. Um, Let's see. Material handling. You mentioned material handling. The internet said was tough. (laughs) Uh,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> you think it's an easier one? Well, it I depends, mean, I guess. It's material handling
0: is handling's probably what most robots are doing. Okay. <laughs> um, Same material handling is so generic, though, that's like saying math is hard. <laughs> that's true. Cause, well, I mean, if you're talking about simple addition compared to complex, you know, algebra and geometry, calculus or okay, trigonometry okay. or something like that, you're doing. <laughs> fourth or fifth or hundredth degree out, uh, integrals and things of that nature uh, uh, you know no you, you can't categorize math as hard um, some math is hard some material handling can be hard gotcha uh, apply these if you're not sure apply these four things and then you'll want you want to worry about hard if you if the if answer is well we can't do it with mittens we can't do it blah no and then, you know, if you can do some of those things, maybe, but you're getting harder from that point forward. If you just like, even we had, you know, 3D systems with seventh axes and two or three robots and the best, you know, most expensive Mission. ambidextrous type grippers, okay, hand, you know, human hand grippers, we, this still would be hard. Then don't, let's not automate that one. Let's use a person. <laughs> Sometimes you just need the touch of the human touch, Mm. and so uh, that kind of thing. But uh, uh, So material handling, uh, and then, of course, we always do dispensing and and inspection. So dispensing, be gluing, caulking, something like that where we're moving in a pattern. That's real good with robots. Even Cartesian robots, we do that a lot with. Scara robots. Uh, And not even dispensing, we can do cutting. Um, uh, The uh, ultrasonic cutters and things of that nature for cloth material. Ultrasonic welding. Uh, we do that a lot with 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 scara robots and cartesian robots, but then then inspection means you just got a camera on the end of the robot, or you're moving the part in front of a fixed camera. Again, do you take the part to the process or the process to the part? Uh, those things can or cannot be uh, interesting. A lot of those things you can prove out too. That's why we have. That's why we keep robots here. Yeah. At, at can we show a video? Absolutely. You want to see a video? Yeah. So here's one that we've got set up. This is actually a proof of concept for a customer. Actually, it's more than a proof of concept. They're actually doing it. So that's uh, this is one of our Hanwa robots, collaborative robots. Now, why do we have it guided or guarded? I'll tell you why we have it guarded, because it's moving faster. And you look at the end of arm tooling. Bring up that gripper. Can you bring you us got, onto yeah. that gripper? Uh, nope. so one more. So we kind of see go. it there. Uh, so we're grabbing from the inside, so we're, catch- we're, we're catching the part from the the in the ID, the inside diameter of the part uh, with those grippers. Uh, so that's why they're spread apart right now. We don't have parts in this video because, number one, they're confidential, but uh, also uh, we don't have any just because. Um, but that's what the tooling's supposed to do. But you can see that tooling has sharp points on the edges. The gripper has sharp points on the edges. So you got to guard it. For those of you who are collaborative folks that think, yeah, just tell everybody to get out of the way, we don't need guarding. Uh, imagine how slow we would have to be going to keep that in the collaborative realm as far as the pounds per square inch with those points. Now, if we had designed some kind of shroud around it and everything that also housed the part, those kind of things, we could possibly do it. But in this case, doing all that design and everything, we looked at the feasibility of doing that. And then the cost of just a couple of pieces of uh, extra extrusion and some finger safeguarding. It was a no-brainer. Yeah, <laughs> and so, <laughs> uh, so that's the kiss. You know, keep it simple, stupid. That's right. <laughs> uh, and so th- that's what we're doing. Go ahead and play that again. Uh, okay. So, so it's moving pretty, th- pretty thoroughly. And what, what this is uh, emula- emulating is picking apart machine tending. We're we're going over. We'll be going over. They'll be uh, the customer will be going over and doing a a quality check. And then based upon that quality check, it'll either pass or fail, and it'll either uh, be like down the good chute or placed into the the reject chute, and so there it is, right there, Pretty that's cool, pretty cool stuff. yeah, so there you go um that's a that's a good example of that's material handling, Seems- Well, that
1: wasn't that as difficult as, uh, oh, oh, I forgot to do that,
0: yeah <laughs> seeing who the, those of you on video just saw infinity, <laughs>
1: they did <laughs> sorry about that, <laughs> so uh.
0: Um, so yeah, that, that I, I wouldn't say that those things are, are are too too hard to do necessarily.
1: Okay. So what advice would you sh- have to
0: share with people? Well, again, I, I think I think these four reasons, and i have putting some thought I put some thought into this as we've gone through the, you know, the mittens, the blindfold, the stand in one place, the one arm behind your back kind of thing. That that's. That's a, I'm sorry if it's rudimentary, you know, uh, I apologize for that. But I think that it's a, I think well, it's that a it,
1: good, easy way to remember. It, too. Is. <laughs> it
0: is. And, and, and it just brings, you, it brings everything into perspective pretty quickly Yeah. Uh, and kind of, kind of helps boil that down. So if that saves you some time on that, that that's the great thing, uh, you know, and then you get onto your other reasons to automate and your other ROI calculations as far as far as, you know, this is, a you know, looking at the high volume tasks, the the impacts, uh, you know, on the systems, the compliances, the audit audits, you know, audit requirements, those kind of things come into play. And in general, ROIs, I mean, the rest of that's feasibility study. What I'm seeing a lot, what I've seen more often than not in the last few months is folks are trying their best to find a way to get to an ROI and they're pulling those based, they're pulling potential automation projects based upon ROI and thinking this if we can do this then you know we'll get the highest ROI. but it becomes so complex and whatnot it blows their budgets out of the water what they' what they're really budgeting for. And so if you can pass this through this initial filter first and then from that from what falls out of that, now start doing your ROIs, you, the benefits will be in less time, be shorter uh there'll be um you know the ROIs you, you may not again, you're not gonna you may not do away with, you know, we don't need even need the half half of the plant. We can lease it out, you know, whatever. You know, it's not gonna be that. Yeah. It's not gonna be lotto, but it's gonna be something and, and it it might be lotto like because now all of a sudden with the same budgets you may be able to say with what we would have spent to automate this one process we can now automate three or four processes and when you add those up it equals what this one is except with with you know a lot less complexity and <laughs> complexity a lot less money or you know the money's been been spread, spread across out. amortized mm-hmm. across and a lot less time yeah and a lot less frustration so uh, less frustration equals no No heightened need for patience. (laughs) And so there's plenty of reasons to be frustrated these days and times. Let's not make automating a process one of them. That's right. So that would be my advice. Very good advice. So good discussion today. Went a little long today. Uh-oh, did we? Yeah. So sorry for the long podcast, but we were talking about some cool stuff.
1: Well, last week was so sh- or the w- one before yeah, was so short. We got credit. Yeah. yeah, we
0: got credit. So guys, thanks for joining us Thank today. Uh, Industrial automation doesn't have to be your biggest problem. There it is, Ivana. Yeah. So... Um, we want to invite you to, uh, to again, share, share videos, share share our podcast. Uh, certainly give us your feedback, leave in comments, subscribe, um, give us the five-star rating, uh, like our videos and, and our podcast. That helps us to continue ahead on the search. Uh, certainly um, check us out across all those latest and greatest podcasting if you pod, whatever you whatever your podcast tool is, if we're not on it, let oh, us know,
1: please, because <laughs> I've not done my job, <laughs> well, and
0: I would be quite surprised if that was true, uh, because Beth has done a fantastic job in getting us on all that, and then of course on social media with Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook, uh, and YouTube, and so certainly continue to uh, to listen, listen, and watch us and as we go forward so we've got some new topics all all in the makings
1: got some lined up yeah we're going
0: to be talking about some really cool things uh but uh i hope you survived your thanksgiving and uh Hopefully, now you're you're dialing into some things to automate. So, if that's the case, please, we invite you to give us a call at 865 409 1555 or check us out online at www.ellitech.com. That's E L L I T E K.com. And certainly check us out on social media.
1: That's right.
0: So, Beth, let's yes, see. Yes, Brandon. Beth, have a wonderful day.
1: You too, Brandon. Thank you all for listening or and watching.
0: And watching. That's (laughs) right. We'll see you.